great Dan O. Welcome, mate. Thanks, mate. Good to be back in the den. Yeah, you've enjoyed. You've been enjoying the autumn carnival. Racing's been great. Punt mm. hasn't been too good, but really, yeah, okay. yeah, so yeah. Battle a little bit more seconds than winners, but that's how it goes sometimes. But yeah, quality of racing, you can't uh, complain about that. Yeah, no, it's been awesome. Let's start with a bang. So, hypothetically speaking, if James Cummings called you and said, "Should I send Animo to the UK for a campaign?" What would you say to him? Why not? He's a racehorse, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And very, very, very good horse too. Yep. Um, I, I think he had a slight off day. I had him like a length and a half below his best in, in the Queen Elizabeth. Um, but his big thing is he's just so reliable. So even though uh, I think he needs to go to a new level to win one of those target races over there, but he's so reliable that he could go there and still run well. Yeah. So if he's, if he's fit and well and they're happy with him, then why not take him over? Do you think they will send him? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, to be honest. I hope they do because I think it would be great to see. And, and uh, as I said, he was slightly off his best there on Saturday. Um, but look at the horse's record. He's just got such a phenomenal record when he's set for a race. So they have him tuned up. Yeah, he, he can run very well. And, and you never know on a given day. We see overseas horses come here and, and sort of improve on their, their form. If mm. he does that, then, you know, I think there's an opportunity to, you know, create a bit of history. So hopefully they, they see it that way and, yeah. and take him. Yeah. I think everyone wants him to go because... It'd be more exciting for the whole Ascot Carnival who is there. Hundred um, percent. Yeah, imagine imagine he goes over there and proves. There's a lot of doubters, obviously. Goes over there and proves them all wrong and, and wins. So yeah, it'd be amazing. That's why I said it's the opportunity to like create some some history. Yeah. And <clears throat> even no Godolphin have you know some of the best bloodstock going around. You know, getting a horse like Animo doesn't come along all that often. So mm. um, in in some respects, it's a you know maybe not a once in a lifetime opportunity, but it's not something that. Might not come along for another five years. Does it damage his value at start if he goes over there and fails? I don't think so. I mean, I think he'll, he'll – I'm not a breeding expert, but he's likely to still prove popular here in the Southern Hemisphere. So I think one run up there, if, uh, you know, if he runs competitively, I think, you know, it, it maybe even enhances his reputation a bit. If he, if he fails for whatever reason, then there's plenty of horses that, that you know, fail after travelling. So, mm. um, yeah, I think the, the potential upside uh, in terms of – as I said, creating histories is probably enough reason to go if, if the horse is fitting well and, and they're happy with him. Do you have any sense of what mm. they're thinking of putting his fee at for his first year? Are, you know, like what the most of first season so usually goes for sort of eighty to ninety thousand, right? I think Piero might have been around that mark. Have you heard anything around what they're thinking yeah. for him? Look, I, I wouldn't know. I'd only be guessing, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. I mean, normally those sort of super high ones are, are sort of dominant younger horses with, with speed. Yes, um, and that, I guess that was what I was, the point I was trying to make yeah. is because he's, you know, more of a middle distance horse, wasn't, you know, didn't go off as a two-year-old or anything. So, yeah, would it, are they are they going to try and launch him with a boom and be like, this is the best sire ever and, yeah. and put a big fee on him? But you yeah. don't really know. Yeah, I probably don't know enough about that that sort of commercial breeding side. Um, but, I mean, he still was a very, very good two-year-old. Um, excellent run in the slipper. Um and he, he did show speed, which I know breeders look for. Like speed yeah. is a big thing. And he showed that at two, his record, he was better at three and, and four. So he's a remarkable horse in, yeah. in that aspect, um, his reliability and, and talent. So, yeah, I'd assume he's going to be popular. But, in, yeah, in terms of a fee, yeah, I'm not, not too sure. Um, yeah. Probably out of my bracket to send a mare to, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's get into the show now. And um, what... What we want to do is obviously talk about the stars of the autumn and to give a bit of context to it, I'll just throw this thing up on the screen now to show you how we're going to do it. We've got a lot of great questions and comments from people when we put a shout out on 
Twitter and on the Dan and whatnot. Um, so that's really helped us put some structure to it. Yeah, so up on the screen there, you can see that it's, uh, we're going to talk about middle distance first, then we'll talk about the stayers, then we'll move to the sprinters, which uh, everyone loves talking about, and, um, and then we'll move to the two-year-olds, mm-hmm. and then we'll move to the three-year-olds, and we've got a couple of questions to finish us off. Sounds so good. let's get into the middle distance horses, and let's start with, let's watch the Queen Elizabeth that just went on Saturday just to get us in the mood. You can see that they actually walked to the 800 here, so Dubai Honor was not in a good position relative to that pace, but he just, just powered home, turned a foot, sustained it. Uh, and you can see here the last 200 just how dominant he is. Really went away from them, didn't he? Yeah, ran away from them. Mawango's sort of working home at the end there, but the big thing about him was that he was level with Dubai Honor approaching the 800, and then when the pace picked up, he wasn't able to, to immediately respond and, and ended up about three lengths off due by honour at the 400, and, and that was the key thing. So we can say it was an outstanding run because of the way that he finished off, but when the situation presented that he needed to quicken to put himself into the race to get into a potential winning position, he wasn't able to do that. Yes, um, and that's where by honour was. Yeah, that's yeah. right, and that's part of the mark of that extra level of class, um, and that's been a trait sort of consistent through Moanga's career. He's a very good horse, but just lacks that bit of turn of foot to, to sort of get into the race when he needs to. Yeah, so someone... Uh Matt Primer asked us a question about Mawunga, so let's touch on that now that you brought it up. It's great to see Mawunga going to race on. Do you agree with his connections that he will, that he is still improving and also what do you believe is his optimal distance? Yeah, I couldn't disagree. I mean, I think uh, just looking at my notes here, um, look, three of his career best runs have come in his last six starts. So Saturday was his career best. He, he went very close to that in the Cox Plate last year and the Champion Stakes, the, mm. the old McKinnon. Um, they're within his last six starts. So even though he's an older horse, he's racing literally in career best form. Um, so there's no reason that he can't improve again. Um, you know, he's more likely to probably hold around a similar level. Uh, in terms of his best distance, obviously that 2,000 metre trip's good. I'd love to see him try it at 2,400 at some stage. As I mentioned before, he does lack that sort of turn of foot. Um, so he, he's probably a horse that will need races where the pace goes ideally for him where it's a steady pace and then they gradually build where he can get into the race rather than needing to sort of respond quickly. Just like Caulfield Cup possibly? Yeah, I mean, I'd love would, to see him have a crack at that race. Would um, he get to, or how would he go weight-wise? Um, I'm not sure what weight he'd get, but look, he'd be sort of somewhere in the mix. He'd probably need a new peak to win, um, but that's typical of, of any Caulfield Cup. Um, but yeah, just because he lacks that little bit of a sprint, but he's so often he's very strong at the end of his 2,000 metre races. I'd love to see him have a crack at that. I think somewhere back in his pedigree, there's an Auckland Cup winner over two miles. So it's mm-hmm. not um, And he's a stallion too, which is why it's a bit of a talking point because mm. if he wasn't a stallion, he'd be racing for at least another two or three years, you'd think. But because he can go to stud, there's that temptation to, to go to stud. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the, the connections have made a decision that he is going to race on, which yeah. is great for racing. Um, our weight for age stocks are going to be depleted by the time the spring comes around. So he might be the... He might be the number one seed and unless some new talent emerges. Yeah, so why don't when we were doing a bit of pre-production of this, you brought that point up. You want to talk a bit more about that now? The you you basically think that the the weight fridge stocks are going to be pretty light on for the um, spring. Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's commonly talked about how our middle distance weight fridge stocks are generally, you know, lower anyway than than years gone by and, and certainly on the world stage. Um, but if we think about this year, Animo is going to be going to stud. Um, I'm Thunderstruck's no longer with us. Um, there's a query over Zaki. He's going to go around in the all age, but didn't sort of come up well, so we didn't see him race in the autumn. He's going to be, I think, a nine-year-old by the time the spring comes around. 
Um, El Bodegon was was third in the Cox Plate last year, I think it was. Um, he's sort of done nothing mm. this prep, staying in Australia. Um, so you got yeah. Mr. Brightside. Mr. Brightside's there. Questionable about strong two thousand meters for him. Alligator blood similar. Um, so all of a sudden, Zaki, Animo, I'm Thunderstruck have sort of been the three best performed horses in that middle distance range. Um, potentially aren't going to be there. Yeah. Um, well, two of the three definitely won't be there. We don't know about Zaki. Um, so yeah, it leaves the stocks even thinner than what we've been used to. So um, there doesn't look to be a huge amount coming through the three-year-olds. Mm. Um, so you know, where are the good horses going to come from? Amelia's um, jewel. She's definitely potential. Whether they get to that trip this spring or whether they stick to something like a Golden Eagle mm. um, with the big money on offer there, um, everything suggests that that's what they're going to do. They're going to go, yeah, not go to the Cox Plate, go to the Golden Eagle. Yeah, and that's a once-in-a-career opportunity yeah, to race when you're four years old. The, yeah. the other races will be there after that. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it potentially comes down to overseas horses in the spring, either visitors or, as we've seen before, overseas horses that are purchased by Australian Connections to, to come here and race. Um, but, yeah, I honestly believe that, that come the spring, our middle-distance stocks could be even weaker than what we're used to. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, that presents a, an opportunity for new talent to, to emerge. Um, so let's just go back and talk more about Dubai Honor. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Dubai Honor was the star of the autumn, um, easily the best horse and, and and really exciting. So there's so much talk around that middle distance horses that come from Europe are so much better than ours. I mean, middle distance mm-hmm. and stayers as well. And someone on Twitter put up an interesting point or question for us. Group One Sports, he didn't put his name with it, but he said, thoughts on how to genuinely compare European horses with Australian horses. So many come in to compete here now. We need a better way to understand how to compare them consistently. So you might be able to shed a bit of light on that, on how we can compare them consistently. There's talk that Dubai Honor, in his last three starts in um, the UK, got been 4.6 lengths, 2.8 lengths and 9.1 lengths. So you look at him just completely blowing everyone away here and then you see that he was struggling in the UK. I personally think that that's not a realistic way to look at it. There's no way Animo is going to go to the UK and perform that badly. Correct. What do you make of all that talk? Yeah, look, I think to touch on the question, I mean, the way that we line up these international horses is just through ratings. There's people like myself and other people, organisations like Timeform that that put a lot of time and effort into systems and processes to measure the performance of horses and mm-hmm. and and do our best to, to get some sort of normalisation across the different jurisdictions that, that we might cover. Um, but it's still obviously you're dealing with uncertainty. So when the visitors come here... They have to travel, they have to settle in, how well are they going? Um, Jibayon is obviously a horse that's thrived. There's others that do that. Um, there's a horse like Statement um, with Joseph O'Brien that was running in the Phillies and Mares races that that hasn't sort of thing yeah. came with very good form. So um, we are racing and punting is a game dealing with uncertainty and, and overseas horses that come is sort of perhaps near the upper end of that spectrum. Um, just touching on Dubai, I look, the horse that raced here, there's no doubt that's a better version of him than that raced in the UK last year. Um, yeah. Going back before that, when he was a three-year-old, he was a very promising three-year-old. Um, he had an off year last year. Um, but, yeah, you definitely can't take those margins he was getting beaten by in the UK and yeah. then directly transpose that to the form here. Um, he was a long shot last year when he wasn't in form in some of those big races in the UK. When he goes home later this year, he'll be single-figure odds chance yeah, in, okay. in a lot yeah. of those big races. Yeah, yeah it's, it's ludicrous for anyone to suggest that off these performances, he's going to go home and still be a 20s chance in some of their races. It's just not correct. Yeah, yeah well, because he's apparently they're going to run him in, in Hong Kong. 
very hard to beat up there. Yeah, yeah. go so against romantic warriors, the, yeah. the sort of have local stuff. Uh, we'd look for a market, but we couldn't find one. You haven't been able to find a market um, for that. Yeah, I think someone actually pointed out to me on Twitter that Bet365 were betting 225 or 5 to 4 romantic warrior and $6 due you buy honor, um, which is the wrong really? price. Yep. Wow. Um, I think on on ratings, they're, they're about similar levels of talent. Um, yeah. Romantic Warriors obviously got, you know, home track, um, firm track doesn't bother him. That's a, you know, a, not a query for Dubai Honor, but it's another factor that, that may create some variability in his performance. So I think Romantic Warrior probably still deserves to be favourite, but mm. they should definitely be a lot closer together in the market. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, on, uh, on the den, Peter Brown wanted us to quickly touch on Montefilia. Yeah, look, interesting there. I mean, she was... Really, she was disappointing. Yeah, she was Saturday. disappointing in the QE. Prior to that, she was sort of fairly consistent in her ratings, sort of 100, 101 on my scale, yeah. which, um, you know, consistent with, you know, the level of form. She was probably unlucky not to win that tankard. She looked to be yes. tracking into the race perfectly. Um, and then she took a couple of off strides at the 500 and lost some momentum and then then came again late. Um, so, yeah, she's, she's a very good group class mare that's spiked a couple of big runs. Um, her best performance was when she beat very elegant. Um, in the Rand, but last year I think it was. Um, that was a proper Group One weight for age performance. I remember in that race, she um, very elegant was there to sort of beat her at the 200, um, and Montefilli just blew her away and mm. sort of drew away in the end. So that was on a heavy track. Um, very good performance. Um, yeah, but she just looks to have sort of leveled out a bit this autumn. Still at a, at a decent level, um, but obviously short of the, the top, the very top. What would be her grand final in spring if it was up to you? I don't know. They ran her in the Caulfield Cup last year from memory. She ran very well, so maybe they'll, they'll sort of head towards um, that race again. Um, they may decide to, to stick at 2,000 and with those weight for age stocks sort of being a bit less, perhaps a shot at the at the Cox Plate or, or something like that. Yeah. Mm. All right, so that rounds up the um, chat about the Queen Elizabeth. Let's move to middle distance, which is uh, still what the Queen Elizabeth was. But to get ourselves in the mood, we're going to watch two – the ends of – Ends of the two sort of biggest middle distance races of the autumn. That was the All-Star Mile down at Mooney Valley. And then we'll also watch the Doncaster. We'll watch them both back to back. And then we'll um, have some talking points. Sure. And this was a proper race here. Keats went very, very fast in front and sort of collapsed at the 600. It was, I mean, great ride by Luke Curry, I think it was. He, he was able to get around the heels of sort of Keats and into the clear. And you can just see when he balanced up, he, he just surges. And uh, Cascadian sort of running on strongly. He's had a great prep suited by the speed and, and the inevitable as well. Turned back the clock a few years to some of his best form. Um, but again, I, I sort of mentioned about Mawunga. It was a similar thing in this race where both Cascadian and the inevitable just sort of couldn't provide the turn of foot they needed at the time to sort of get themselves Tactical into a position. Tactical speed, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. To, to get into a position at the, at the 200. Um, and I think I actually wrote down a bit of a stat on that that, you know, being able to put yourself in a position where at the 200 you're within sort of a couple of lengths of the lead is like so important. I sort of looked in my database and and horses that um, were more than four lengths back at the 600, but within one to two lengths at the 200. So they've been able to move into the race and get themselves in a winning position. They had like a 23% strike rate, um, but horses that were more than four lengths back, but couldn't make that improvement and was still two to three lengths off at the 200. They only had like an 8.7% mm. strike rate. So it's almost 30% less chance. It just shows how important that if you are coming from off the pace, that turn of foot is to get yeah. yourself into a position. It, it, it's rare that turn yeah. of foot, isn't it? It's very hard to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, especially at this top level where there's other very good horses in the race. 
Um, and, and that's why it can be a bit of a trap sometimes, especially as a punter, but to get carried away with those horses that are closing strongly late but couldn't get themselves into the race in a potential winning position when it really counted. Um, yeah, it's probably one of the one of the you know good tips to pick up about form analysis and things like that. Um, always, you know, favour or consider the better runs of the horses that can actually put themselves into the race to win when it matters. Um, those ones will always hold you in yeah, better stead yeah. than the ones that are just flashing late. Great call. Cool. Well, let's keep rolling. Let's watch the Doncaster, <laughs> Mr. Brightside again. Yeah, he probably benefited here with the draw and he got a really soft run. Um, just have a look out wide there, hope in your heart and the pink colours. Feels an enormous run. Wide a straw, went back, just covered more ground than Burke and Wills. Probably wasn't the best steer, um, even taking into account the, the late draw and the, the way she finished off. But yeah, Mr. Brightside just um, yeah, surging through there. Uh, my Oberon ran his best race, you know, his prep and, and sort of put himself in the mix. And you can see, yeah, in the pink colours there, hoping the heart hitting the line strongly. Um, she's a very good mare. I mean, she didn't sort of run up to that form in the, the coin of the turf last weekend, even though she didn't run badly. But, yeah, I'll be surprised if she doesn't pick up a group one somewhere before yeah, she's so she, done. Yeah, she was – that was the run that really caught your eye, was it? I think so. I think that was the run of the race. Mr. Brightside was very good. I mean, he gave everyone weight, um, but he did benefit there from the draw and, and the soft run. Um, she was an enormous run from from where she was to, to endure the trip she did, cover that extra ground and still be making ground on the line was yeah, a terrific effort. So Owen McIntyre wanted us to talk about Nugget. He said, can Nugget go on with it like Mr Brightside did the year before? was an enormous run in the Doncaster given the run first, second he had. And we should mention Mr Brightside, pretty incredible to win back-to-back -back Doncasters, isn't it? Huge, yeah. It's yeah. not often done. No. Um, and he carried the weight this year. Last year he got he was right down in the weights, um, I think maybe 51, 51 and a half or something. Um, this year, yeah, he carried the weight, gave a lot of those other horses weight and, and got it done. So he's, and he's and a terrific Done horse. by the young Hayes boys, not, not a bad effort for them. They're going, they're going very well. I mean, um, not to be, you know, cheeky or disrespectful or anything, but the stables may be going better now than... Wow. Yeah, what, what it has. Um, um, look, I think over the years that the stables, you know, had its, had its ups and downs sort of thing and, and they've, you know, gone in and out of form perhaps more than some others and, and in top-class races uh, maybe not, um, even though they've had winners. Uh, when you look at the number of runners, that they've probably performed less than other stables, if I can say that. But, yeah, the, um, Ben and JD seem to be doing a terrific mm. job. Um, and, and most importantly, when I look at their horses, they seem to be – with a lot of their horses maximising their potential. Like, you'd have to say that about Mr. Brightside. He's, he's gradually improved and he's racing in career best form. Um, little Bros as a two-year-old won the Blue Diamond. Huge result for them. Mm. Um, you know, maybe not – time will tell, but he's maybe not an elite horse, but they've got the most – absolute most out of him to win a big, important race. Um, there's various other results that they've had along the way. So, yeah, yeah. big rap for those two young guys. So, can we, can, you, can we watch it again, Trill, and just watch the run of Nugget? Yeah, just, just play it again. And so Nugget was a would have been a big result in the den. The king was tipping it. Um, so Nugget is it's is it Australian bloodstock colours? Yeah, yeah. So he he covered a lot of so ground as well. Blue, right out wide, blue with the um, black and white checks on the sleeve. So let's watch him. He really trucks into it. Yeah. Yeah, he looked a potential winner here, right? Just probably peaked on his run a bit late from that. Sort Did of Gibbons go too early? Like if he'd been a bit more patient, would he have? I, I don't think so. I think um, I'm always of the opinion that not that you'd rather go too early, but you're better off going at a time that gives you every chance to win than, than running on late with something left to offer type yep. of thing. So 
Um, I don't think it makes a difference to there, but yeah, in answer to the question, I mean, he's a he's been a super consistent horse with, with his sort of ratings around it. You know, solid sort of group class level. Um, can he go on and do what Mr. Brightside did? I mean, Mr. Brightside's still a five-year-old. Nuggets six by Northern Hemisphere time. Uh, Mr. Brightside made his progression from you know four-year-old into his five-year-old season, whereas Nuggets already six. So I guess that possibly reduces his chance a little bit that he's going to take that next step that mm-hmm. Mr. Brightside's done. But look, he's still a very good, very good horse and super consistent. Um, yeah, like Group One handicaps, like the two rack or something in the spring, look right up his sort of alley. Um, as we saw there in the Doncaster, he can measure up with the right weight in those races. Yeah, because he's an import too, isn't he? Yeah, Northern Hemisphere horse. Yeah, yeah. Australian bloodstock. They seem to do a good job picking yeah. those horses. Had a lot of success. So um, yeah, he's right around the mix in all these good races, especially under under handicap conditions. Mm. Yeah. I've noticed Australian bloodstock giving me a bit of love on Twitter, so they must have been backing a few winners and getting frustrated because <laughs> they're coming to my Twitter world. Um, now, we've got a question from Cozzy23 about Fangirl. Uh, if you trained to own Fangirl, where and what would you target this spring? Melbourne, firmer tracks, question mark, question mark. And then he goes on to say, Animo has retired, so it could now be Australia's best horse. Man, wow, that's a big call for Fangirl. <laughs> yeah. He's obviously a, a fanboy of Fangirl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, she's been flying this prep, actually. I mean, she had those couple of runs. She wasn't far off Animo. And to be honest, she probably wasn't suited in any of them. Um, I think first up, she had the pace against. Another time, she was in the wrong section of the track. Um, we saw in the Doncaster, her finishing off you know, heavy track was against her there. Um, in terms of target race, I'd say that um, Empire Rose in the spring mm-hmm. group one Phillies and Mares race over sixteen hundred yeah. at Flemington's perfect target for her. Um, in terms of you know best mare horse in Australia, I mean she's probably a win like that away from being the best mare. There's a couple of other mares like um, Passive Aggressive, even Amelia's Jewel, even though yeah. she's a filly. Um, even Cyrilleo Miss that that failed on the weekend, but she was horrible on the weekend. Yeah, but I mean, she blew him away. Two runs in Melbourne, really strong performances. A tissue won the Group One Queen of the Turf with a strong rating, so they're probably all a touch above Fangirl at the moment in terms of the best mare in the country. Um, but yeah, one win can mm. can change that if she gets the circumstances to go her way. Um, yeah, she's absolutely flying this prep and just hasn't had a lot of luck in in conditions of races. Yeah. Um, excitingly, we've got a great race to end. The middle distance mm-hmm. part of the autumn. We've got the All Edge Stakes on Saturday, so mm-hmm. I thought we should quickly touch on that. Um, I'll throw the market up on the screen. So we've got Giga Kick, who's, you know, may, might probably the best horse still left in Australia once Animo goes, mm-hmm. arguably. Then we've got Jackano, who had a mixed sort of campaign, was favourite mm-hmm. for the Australian Guineas. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, Giga Kick at about 280. Then we've got Jackano at six bucks, Mazu at seven dollars, Zaki at seven dollars. Cascade in about eight dollars, and then Private Eye, um, eight dollars as well. Fangirl, um, even Lost and Running. So it's, it's a very, very good race. It'd be great to see what happens. What's, what's your inclination? Yeah, great race. Um, as we record this, we still don't know the final field or barriers or anything like that. Um, I think that'll play a role because just looking at those chances you read there, you sort of ask where the pace is coming from in this race. Um, so I think that could play a big yeah. role. So I think draws in the maps going to be important. Um, Giga Kick does have a little bit of tactical speed and especially up to 1,400 he could. So if he draws well um, and, you know, there's a map where he can sort of take up a position, I think he'll start shorter. Um, if he draws wide and has to go back and there does look to be a lat- uh, lack of pace, then that certainly, you know, throws the race a little bit more open. Um, but, yeah, he's clearly the horse to beat. Very, yeah. very good three-year-old. Um, he looks to relax well enough and, and in the TJ uh, which we'll look at later, strong enough late to suggest he'll have no problem with 1,400. Um, 
Marzu has the tactical speed, um, but perhaps a little bit suspect at 1,400. Um, but that's why I say the pace is important. If, if a horse like Marzu positions up and, and they sort of walk in the middle stages, then, um, as we, you know, there wasn't a, a massive amount between him and Giga Kick in the TJ. Um, so, you know, pace and position could certainly play a role. Um, Jackano's a real query runner. Um, I love him at 1,400. I've always felt that's his best distance. Um, on his Golden Rose win from last spring, he mm. can certainly push Giga Kick all the way in this race. Um, but yeah, his form since then has been a little yeah. bit mixed. His Actually, ratings yeah. have certainly been down. Um, but yeah, when horses, good horses return fresh, that, that's an opportunity where they can really, you know, sort of step up with a big performance. Um, just that opportunity to reset, rebuild and get tuned right up to sort of come to the race. So um, yeah, it's a very, very good race, interesting yeah. race. And yeah, there's other chances as well. Private Eye, um, uh, you know, probably wasn't suited in the conditions of the TJ, but very, very good horse, same as Lost and Running. So, yeah, yeah great race. Yeah. Cool. We look forward to it. All right, let's move on to the stayers. <clears throat> let's talk about the stayers. So, um, autumn's always a bit bit quiet for the stayers. Obviously, the, the big races are in the spring, but mm. let's just quickly watch the Sydney Cup. I mean, I guess <clears throat> what we're looking for here is, is there any horses that we should be following towards the Melbourne Cup? We've definitely got one that we'll watch after this, but let's quickly watch the Sydney Cup. Yeah, I mean, Knight's order here was huge. I mean, Love's 3,200 wet, won the Sydney Cup last year. <coughs> Looked gone, <coughs> look gone 100 times in the straight, just kept whacking on. Um, true crime at uh, True Marvel. Sorry, not True Crime. Uh, explosive Jack. Yeah, blind him away late there, just sort of over the top. Um, obviously, a, a good staying performance. Um, 101 rating on, on my figures. I'm sure they'll head to a Melbourne Cup with him. Yeah. Um, he needs to sort of improve, but he showed you, there that what he can What rating do you need to win the Melbourne Cup? <clears throat> Melbourne Cup being a handicap, a lot comes down to the weights, right? So, um, you know, a horse that's you know, 104 rater, for example, if you're right down in the weights, you can win a Melbourne Cup. But if you're going to carry 56 with that rating, you've probably got no chance. So um, I'm not sure what weight he would get in the race. Uh, he probably needs to improve a couple of lengths, but... Again, race like the Melbourne Cup always comes down to the horse that can run a big new PB on the day. Do you know what Gold Troop offhand? Do you know what Gold Troop rated last year? Uh, in the Melbourne Cup last year, I think he ran 106, normalised to weight for age, but he also had the big weight, right? So yeah. um, it wasn't a it wasn't a strong Melbourne Cup when when you adjust for performances at the weights. Um, so yeah, so I'm sure they'll head that way with Explosive Jack, and he stays two mile, which is um, obviously a, a key factor in the race um but yeah outside of that i can't really see yeah, sort of anything else nothing else caught your eye cool mm -hmm. david katz threw a question for us uh besides his sydney cup run did king frankel's rating continue to improve throughout his prep was the tankred run his highest rater yeah it was his tankred run his first couple of runs back were sort of similar to his best from last prep and then he went up another level in the in the tankred um another horse that maybe could have won that thought they did take off a bit early on on him there without it didn't seem to be a good reason unless that was part of the instructions. Um, so he probably, you know, didn't stay the two mile in, in the Sydney Cup. Um, was very tough conditions. Um, so I don't think you can necessarily hold him against it. But what we can say is he's not crying out for two miles. So probably back to 2400s, his, you know, his pet distance, I'd think. Um, and a race like the Caulfield Cup, I mean, why not head there again? He'd have to improve a bit, but he's got a reasonable sort of base to say that it's not a totally unrealistic target for him to, to head towards that race. Um, if he gets in the field, he'd be right down in the weights and, um, you know, he's still a developing horse and who knows. Mm. So at the same time the Sydney Cup was on down in Melbourne, there was another race on that threw up, well, the favourite for the Melbourne Cup actually, mm. White Marlin. 
Let's watch White Marlin down in Melbourne. Pick him up, put him down. Pick him up, put him down. Very good win. You just look here. He's sort of there to be beaten um, at the 200. But then, you know, he just not so much kicks into another gear. It's a bit of a myth that horses are accelerating late. It's just that the others start to slow down more and, and he's going at the same pace or perhaps slowing down less than the others in, in a demonstration of his you know, superior stamina. Um, so, yeah, very good winning. He was first up there. Again, another very good training performance. He's got a bit of a knack of doing that. Um, so just, Adrian. Yes, and just very quickly, your old mate Chris Camilleri. Mm. He's asked, White Marlin, thoughts on its chances for the Melbourne Cup this far out? Yeah, look, I mean, he, he's obviously going there. He's favourite in the market at the moment, which really... I think he's $8. Yeah, I mean, these markets don't reflect any sort of assessment of the horse's probability of winning. It more reflects something has to be favourite, right? If, sure. the race, if the race were run tomorrow, then he'd probably start favourite. And I think yeah. that's all that, you know, um, the, the value in those early market or, you know, pre-post markets is well and truly gone compared to years gone by. That Would you rather take $6 to buy honour in Hong Kong or $8 white mail to win the Melbourne Easy cup? question. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, easy question. But, yeah, look, he's, he's a big, strong type, um, white mail, and he can stay. He's shown that he can absorb pressure or pace up up near the front and, and run time and, and they're all key traits of and he's an yeah, import as well of horses that, that run so many very imports well. aren't there yeah. yeah he's got that that sort of overseas stamina so yeah look he's he's headed 100 in the right direction um but yeah a lot of water to flow under the bridge yet yeah um, and and to be honest it's not something that i get too invested in making opinions on at this stage because you don't need to we're not betting um you see that he's a contender we'll see once the races roll around in the spring how he shapes up and Get some more information yeah. to make better decisions. Very good. All right, let's move on to everyone's favourite subject, sprinters. Mm -hmm. So to get us in the mood, why don't we watch the, what I thought were the two most important sprinting races of the autumn. We're going to watch the New Market, which was a fantastic race, and then we'll watch the TJ Smiths. Let's watch them both. Away we go. go yeah, spread right across the track here. I mean, this was very, very fast race. I think it was Snapper in the lead, went nearly miles an hour. Um, personally, I think this is one of the wins of the autumn. I thought In Secret was just yeah. amazing. She's huge. You can just see here from the 300 or 250, she's just dominant. This race is away from them. Uh, you can see Lofty Strike and, and I Wish I Win closest to the outside, sort of working home. Um, Lofty Strike, very good three-year-old. Um, but yeah, In Street in secret, it's just dominant. Um, big win. She's very, very talented filly um, on her day when she when she gets the right conditions. Mm. All right, let's watch the TJ as well. And then we'll have a few questions and talking points. The big horse out in front. Did you ever think that he was going to go all the way? Well, I think for a couple of strides, everyone, everyone did. did yeah, the 300, everyone went, uh-oh, he's back. I mean, you, we just sort of watch here from the 400. He sort of About here, up. He, just, he just puts that little bit of – just lengthens yeah, out a bit. And you're like, oh, you we're, think, we're oh, on here. Here we go. Then you see um, – you know, by about this point in time at the 200, you he, he can tell he's gone. Um, yeah, I wish I win down the outside here, like full beast mode. He's um, seven lengths off him at the 400. Um, what a horse. Yeah, very superb performance. Giga Kick's still very good. He, he didn't shirk the task at all in, in the run home. Um, yeah, two two very good sprinters. Uh, and I think it confirms, you know, very much a changing of the guard with, with Nature Strip and, yes. and Eduardo. You know, hasn't been at, at the best that, that we saw from him. Um, that they've been the two dominant sprinters over the past couple of years. So, yeah, it's well and truly a new landscape now. So let's start with a, a sort of a comment or a question um, from Trackside Trav, one of our favourites in the den. G'day, Trav. 
Um, should they retire nature strip, surely the horse owes the owners nothing more. Yeah, look, I, I don't know about that. That's really not for me to, to sort of say. Um, you sit on the fence? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the people closest to the horse know him best. I mean, he is a racehorse. Um, people assume that horses don't like racing. You know? um, they're still enjoying racing and, and you know, the, the expectations of his performances have changed to sort of how he's going then. You know? But what I will say is that um, his last two performances have been um, two of his, his lowest three ratings in the past three years. Uh, and the other one was in October 2020. Um, so, yeah, it's been a long while since we've seen him um, put mm. two performances, subpar performances by his standards sort of together. So, yeah, it obviously raises a, a big query about whether he's, his best is well and truly passed him. Um, but, yeah, as I said, I mean, the Chris Wallace stable and the people close to that horse know him best and, you know, I wouldn't sort of necessarily form an opinion one way or the other about retiring. Do you happen to know his highest rating? Was it the Ascot win his highest rating? Yeah, 112 there. He ran like 111 and a half um, here, I think, in one of his one of his TJ wins. Um, um, yeah, elite world class. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, it's not quite black caviar territory, but it's, yeah, it's elite world class in, in any era. So it's literally, um, that's why when we had, I think, conversation a few months ago here, um, I said that he's, you know, at that time, easily the best horse in Australia. Yeah. Um, yeah, ahead of Animo. In terms of ratings and and anyone that that does similar work to what I do would have would have felt the same would have felt the same way. Um, uh, yeah, it's just a shame that you know all champions sort of have their point in, in any sport where you know performance starts to to wane um, and and maybe this autumn we've we've seen that with him. Yeah. Um, good question here from Dishizzle seventy nine on Twitter. Who is better? Who is the better twelve hundred meter horse going forward? Giga kick or I wish I win? What a great question. Yeah, really good question. Because they're yeah. just such both good horses. Yeah, it's it's very hard to split them. Obviously, that race says that. I wish I win beat him fair and square there, came from behind him. Um, Giga is still only a three-year-old. Yeah. Three-year-old gelding. And I, mean, he, he had, has he had, I don't think he's had 10 starts. Probably not even 10 starts. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure exactly. Maybe seven or eight starts. Um, so Giga Kick, you know, he's still potentially got upside. Um most of the, the best sprinters in Australia are sort of those those colts, three-year-old colts, and then head off to stud. Yep. Um, but all of our most elite sprinters have been as older horses, the best rating. So that that potential to for him to still improve when he gets into his four-year-old season and beyond is still there. So he could still go to elite levels. Like if you look at um, you know the very best sprinters we've seen or best sprinting performances we've seen in recent years, we've got Nature Strip, we've got Classic Legend, we've got Eduardo. Um, Chautauqua, of course, Santa mm. Ana Lane, Vega Magic, they're all geldings. Yeah. Right? So, yep. um, and a, 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 I know Giga Kick's a gelding, isn't it? Is yep. I wish I win a gelding as well. Um, yeah, I believe he's a gelding as well. Yep. Yeah. Um, so he's he's already, uh, he's older than, than Giga Kick. I think he's four-year-old. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so Giga Kick still holds that potential to improve because most sprinters, they're not reaching their peak until they're sort of more mature horses. Um, and even with some of the Colts, like we saw Bivouac and Pirata race on after their three-year-old season and they both ran better at four than three. Um, obviously, it doesn't happen with every horse, but the, that potential is definitely there with Giga Kick. So, um, yeah, if we were forced to make a call one way or the other, I'd, I'd, probably, say, I'd probably say Giga Kick. Yep. Um, um, but, yeah, they're, they're both very, very good sprinters mm. from what we saw in that TJ. I'd be on I um, Wish I Win. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, just that blew me away, that TJ. Oh, I was, yeah, as I said, full beast mode. Just yeah. amazing to come from seven lengths off at the 400. And even though they were slowing up front, just the way that he powered home. And was... Moody says it doesn't. he doesn't like him in the wet, doesn't 
Yeah, I often wonder when, when stables say that. Um, yeah. And obviously, they've got good reason to say that, whether it's in work or races and jockey feedback where a horse doesn't feel as comfortable. But doesn't necessarily mean when they get on a good track that they're going to go to even higher levels. Um, time will tell with him. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's very difficult to go much better than, than he went in the TJ. Yeah. yeah. Great question here from Hixie93. Which sprint victory rates highest? Cool and gutter, in secret, or I wish I win? And which has the highest ceiling based off rough projections? The Cool and Gutter won the Lightning, correct? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, obviously, in secret, won the New Market, which we watched. And then I wish I win won the um, TJ. Yep. So it's pretty clear ranking there. I wish I win in the TJ was best on my ratings, hundred and seven and a half. Um, in secret, hundred and five and a half. So it's about a length between them on on their two very best performances. Um, in secret, sort of failed there in the TJ, but yeah, heavy track wide. Hot pace type of thing, plenty of excuses. Um, cool and got 102 and a half, so she's a level or a level and a half below the, the very sort of top echelon. Um, but I believe she's going to Royal Ascot for thousand meter race, so it's going to be great to to see. She's very fast. So who, which horse is that? Uh, cool and Gatta. Yeah, right. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, she's very, very, very fast. Philly thousand meters is great. Is that, trip is for that her. like the the race on the Saturday? Is it the is a thousand meter um, race on the Saturday? The yeah, I don't know Golden the, Jubilee or something. Uh, I think it's Platinum Jubilee. Yeah, Diamond I've, Jubilee. One of those races. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's 1,000 metres. That, that's um, the race that Black Caviar was in, I think. Probably. Yeah. 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 Yep. So, yeah, that'll be great to, to see over her over there representing. And as I said, like fresh, tuned right up, 1,000 metres. Interesting. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that'll be the, the ranking order at the moment off, off what we've seen this autumn. Very good. Um, so, Lofty Strike's an interesting horse. So, Lofty Strike ran second in the new market. And on the flat uh, on Twitter says, Lofty Strike, how many pounds does he need to lift to bang out a Group 1 win? Do you think 1,400 Meter uh, Vic Health Cup would be a target for him. Also ask a question about in secret. Poor setup over the top. Too harder a task or wet track flop or not up to wait for age. I think he's referring to in secret's run in the yep. TJ Smith. Yep. A lot to unpack there. And just very quickly, Lofty Strike's an interesting horse because by Snitzel out of overreach, mm-hmm. still a cult. Yep. So you can't get better bread than Snitzel out of a golden slipper winner. <laughs> and if he wins a group one, yep. happy days. They've had a 280000 for him as a yearling. Wow. Not much money. Yep. So they'd be pretty – they want a group one win. 100%. He's a very good colt. Still a three-year-old like Giga Kick. Still got that potential to improve. He's probably – look at weight for age, a length and a half or two lengths off competing with that sort of very upper echelon. So – it's definitely possible. Um, he, he's proven himself to be super genuine and, and reliable, which is which is a big key. Mm. Horses that can you know, consistently run to a given level always give themselves a good platform to one day just take that that next step up, um, as opposed to a horse that might be a bit more up and down in their in their form. Um, so I don't know whether fourteen hundred. I'm not sure if that's the ideal trip for him, or whether they'll they'll sort of keep him to to the sprint races. Um, certainly from a pedigree perspective, you'd, you'd think sprinting. Um, and yeah, if he if he was to win a Group One, um, yeah. a happy Group One, yeah, happy have days to for, for the connections there. Ten to fifteen million dollar valuation, maybe more straight away. Yeah, yeah. possible. As you said, yeah. that that pedigree and and the speed that he shows, and yeah, I'm sure he's still going to be given plenty of opportunity to to do that um, once he turns four this spring. Yeah. So um, Locke and on the den made sort of more comments, but it's quite interesting what he said. He said, if we can talk a little little bit about the decisions trainers made that paid off. For example, I wish I win not going the All-Star Mile and winning the TJ. Half cabin dropping back to sprinting distance from the mile. Both interesting points there. We should talk a little bit about Half cabin one of the yep. boom horses of the autumn. Um, was impressive 
in, in one on Saturday, didn't yep. it? Yeah, impressive yep. on Saturday. Yep. Had a couple beats before that. Um, yeah, but interestingly, as um, Locke N says that, you know, it seems like just dropping him back in that distance helped him. Yeah, well, they probably – James Cummings probably didn't have much choice. I mean, he was dynamic first up when he won. I think it was Eskimo Prince. He absolutely bolted in, showed a huge turn of foot and looked like a serious sprint uh, – like serious horse. Um, he then went up to 1,400 and then the guineas and sort of raced a bit flat. So they probably didn't have a much much choice but to sort of bring him back. Um, and, yeah, he went very well winning on Saturday. Um, I think that win still showed that the horse has no problem with 1,400. Yeah. Um, he, he's two peaks – um, last preparation were both over 1,400 uh, and they were split by a start. He had over 1,200. We actually rated down. So he's not just a sprinter. Uh, mm. He's definitely a good 1,400-metre horse. Um, in the race on Saturday, they went quite quick up front. He missed the start, got further back than we thought he would. Um, but they set quite a solid speed up front and he kind of needed almost every bit of the 1,200 to sort of get over the top of Nessie and I think Lady Laguna was the other horse. Um, and the, the shape of his sectionals there was sort of very – solid and sustained rather than that sort of electric turn of foot that you'd think from a pure sprinter. So, yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that that sort of 12 to 1400s is sort of optimal optimal trip. Um, I think we saw in the guineas probably 1600s beyond him, but yeah, mm. certainly 1400. But you talk about the next wait for age stars. Is Af Cabin, could he be one or um, distance uh, is an issue? And, yeah, and does mean, he have the ability anyway? Certainly in sprinting he could. I mean um, – yeah, he, he's, you know, positioned himself off that Eskimo win and what we saw on Saturday at sort of a good base level needs to take, you know, like a lot of them, sort of another step. But, yeah, he's certainly um, in the mix. Um, if I can just go back, sorry, to um, I think it was on the flat asked about in secret. Um, mm. One of the things about her is that her very best performances have come in high-pressure races. Um, she didn't do that in the TJ, but she was wide, heavy track. But um, Golden Rose... Uh, Group 1 Coolmore in the spring, New Market, all fast, high-pressure races where she's been dominant. Um, not so much when the pace is sort of more more steady or mm. below average. So that's an interesting thing yeah. to, to keep in mind about her. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Lockhand makes a good comment, really, that Moody decided to put I Wish I Win to the TJ, not the All-Star Mile. Genius. Do you yeah. think that that – do you think he – how do you think I Wish I Win would have gone in the All-Star Mile? I mean, obviously, he would have been very competitive, but, yeah, you think that he – yeah, I think he's just—he's obviously just a very, very good horse. But I mean, you have to say when, especially last preparation, he looked like a horse that sort of wanted more than the sprinting trips. Um, but for Peter Moody to say, "No, we're going to keep him to the sprints," to come to a race like the TJ and blow him away like that—I mean, it's just genius. There's no yeah. other way to describe it, really. I mean, it's—he's going good moods. He seems yeah, happy moods, doesn't he? It's, it's absolutely elite to to. First of all, get the horse to produce that performance, but just to have the courage and conviction to say, no, I'm going to keep him to the sprint trips and and bang um, mm. and, and sort of do that. So, um, yeah, they've, they've unearthed a, a top-class sprinter. So last question on the sprinters. You're allowed – you can own one horse for the spring, you personally. Any any sprinter? The sprinter, any sprinter and you can – you get to – who do you want to take? Who's your oh, – I'd have to be Giga Kick, I'd say. Really? Okay. Yeah. With that upside, yeah. yeah. He's still a three-year-old. Nature Strip? No, you wouldn't want Nature Strip? No, no, no. I mean, as as I said, um, he, you know, um, performances have sort of been waning. Um, it's interesting uh, talking about geldings and sort of three-year-olds. I had to look back in my ratings and, I mean, Nature Strip showed his elite potential as a three-year-old when uh, Darren Weir or one of the other trainers sort of had him. Um, and Giga Kick is the next highest rated Three-year-old sprinter um, gelding that is that sort of come through the mm. come through the system just about a length off what Nature Strip was doing as a as a three-year-old. Mm. Um, Nature Strip went to further levels to that sort of serious elite world-class level. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see 
this all leads to a, um, a great Everest. It does, yeah. Shout out PVL. You've done it again. You've done it again, <laughs> PVL. A phenomenal success, that race. Yeah, I mean, it gets us gets us all in, doesn't it? But, yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting this year. If, if um, we'd, You'd certainly think that um, Major Strip may not get a slot in the current form. Um, I think Chris mm. Wallace still has a slot, so it's entirely up to him. They, they may still choose him. But, yeah, with the sort of changing of the guard, um, it's going to be, you know, hot competition for the likes of I Wish I Win and Giga Kick. Yeah, um, and... That's a good segue. We can start to talk about the two-year-olds now. And what's interesting is that both Godolphin and Coolmore have some horses that they have to think about possibly mm-hmm. running in an Everest. Yep. So let's roll to the Golden Slipper and we can pick up that line of thought. Yeah, you can just see here that um, Cylinder third on the fence with the white cap and Shinzo just got the, the suck run behind him there. Um, didn't have to go around a horse. Um, King's Gambit, excellent run, was wide, no cover, and still sort of dashed into contention here at the 200 before he peaked. I um, think he's a very good horse going forward. Um, Shinzo here, just strong late, last 100 drawing away. Um, as I said, he did get the benefit of the soft run there, and had he drawn wide and had to loop around him, it may have been a slightly different scenario, but I think he's a very good horse. All, all the talk about Shinzo during this season was that he's going to be much better as a three-year-old. Yeah. Um, I know James McDonald thought that, um, so for him to win a slipper, in a rating that was, you know, a solid golden slipper um, in terms of previous winners, and certainly not with the best, but you know, on right on par for sort of average. Um, if if the thoughts that were expressed before the race that he's going to be a better three-year-old are anywhere near true, then yeah, he could be seriously good. Um, mm. I, I said before the race that Shinzo sort of gave me home affairs sort of vibes mm. that you know, good two-year-old, but not quite there. Um, and we saw him come out and, and prove himself to be an excellent three-year-old. He beat Nature Strip in the in the Lightning and then won the Coolmore. Um, and I thought Shinzo might be that type of horse, but now he's won the Slipper. Um, yeah, I think his his future is sort of very bright. Um, so when we had James Harron in here, I hypothetically said, what, what would happen if you had a horse that won the Golden Slipper, then as a three-year-old won the Coolmore mm-hmm. and the Everest? And he was like, well, that'd break all records mm-hmm. for evaluation of a horse. Yep. Is Shinzu any chance to be able to win the Coolmore and the Everest in the spring? Um, possible. Yeah, possible. Yeah. It'd be pretty amazing, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah, as I, say, I mean, uh, as I said, the, the talk before would there be a better three-year-old. It's certainly consistent with the Chris Wallace stable that his, his horses, good two-year-olds are better at three. Chris Wallace's record in the Coolmore was remarkable. Mm. Um, if you go back through the stats, absolutely phenomenal. Um, and and he's got a horse that's proven himself to be the best two-year-old that if he comes back better at three, he's going to be awfully hard to beat in the Coolmore. Um, so, yeah, it's it's possible. Um, who would you rather own, Shinzo or Cylinder? Oh, Shinzo, I think, because of that potential upside. I mean, Cylinder's a very good two-year-old. So when the Todman um, did have every chance there in the, in the slipper, um, like all of these two-year-olds, there's a huge query about how they sort of come back as, as three-year-olds. Um, often the, the best two-year-olds are those that that have that sort of physical maturity, early advantage, a bit like the star sort of junior athlete. Um, mm. They don't always go on to to be the. They didn't flog Shinzo, did they? It was just no, no, no. He just sort of came through gradually, yeah. very much typical of the stable, and and um, yeah, got the job done there. They ran the figures as good golden slipper. Yeah, um, and, and so they're talking. Just going back to my lofty strike comment. So. Yeah. Shinzo's schnitzel out of Samaretti. Remember that Samaretti yep, was favouring the gold slipper, but didn't yep, win it. Won, won a blue diamond, yep. Uh, they're sort of talking $50 million valuation yep. for it. Um, and that's just going back to that lofty strike thing, which is schnitzel out of a gold slipper mm-hmm. with the same kind of bloodlines. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so if you can win a group one, it shows you, yep. you know, it's, it's not going to be Shinzu's category, but um, be up there. Um, and it, f- so Godolphin and Coolmore both have slots in the Everest. Mm-hmm. Are either of these, so would, would Godolphin run Cylinder? I mean, obviously they've got In Secret, there's a myriad yep. of options for yeah. them. Would Coolmore run Shinzo in the Everest? Yeah, I don't know. For operations like that that have these cults, there's always so much that goes into it. They're not just motivated by the prize money. There's things like commercial value of stallion profiles and things like that. They're trying to establish that and, and sort of protect that in, in some ways. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting to roll around. Godolphin, you know, they've got, as you said, in secret, they've got Af Cabin, who's there, will be a potential candidate. Um, obviously, Cylinder. Um, and, yeah, Coolmore may have other other talent that that emerges that they seem to rate their their filly um, learning to fly who started mm. I think like six fifty in the slipper lost the rider or mm. missed the start and then lost the rider. Um, they've been enormously bullish about her potential talent, so maybe she jumps out of the ground as a mm. three year old. So um, as you said, PVL here we are months before we're talking about the Everest. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so let's you, you mentioned learning to fly the filly. So the filly's got mm-hmm. dominated in the two-year-olds. Yep. First five o'clock across the line in the slipper of Royal Colts yep. or Geldings. Um, and GM on Twitter said, interested in thoughts around two-year-old fillies going forward to next season. Have a soft spot for Blanc de Blanc, which was first home of the girls in the slipper. So Blanc de Blanc and Michael Friedman horse. Yep. Um, yeah, what do you make of that? Yeah, she's a decent two-year-old personally. I think you know, she's been pretty well exposed as, you know, like – few runs this prep so I'd probably see her as like a middle tier sort of lower group class type filly going forward um, I think probably the two fillies pick of the fillies going forward would be learning to fly that we just mentioned mm-hmm. um, and Chris Dilly, who won the Percy Sykes on on Saturday very impressive um, dominated that race um, still looks green with a little bit to learn I just love the way that she lets down when she balances up and, and sort of wants to find the line so um, I think she's a very promising two-year-old going forward into next season so yeah, if I was to, to call out two fillies, it'd be learning to fly and, and Chris Dilly. Very good. Um, all right, let's let's watch the size produce stakes. Um, obviously, the fourteen hundred, the triple crown of the two-year-olds. Yep. Here we yeah, go. Was, was uh, strong speed here, bases loaded in front. Kane Adrian doing their thing. Um, you see militarised emerge here at the three hundred, and just uh, puts him away here. Uh, you look at his two hundred, just totally dominant. Um, very, very strong win. Was in was on heavy, but you just look here like he's as he goes through the line, he's still drawing away, increasing his margin. I love to see that. Um, visually, just you know, his, his stride length looked to be a little bit a little bit longer than the others that were sort of shortening stride more. So I think he's we're gonna see him in the champagne this weekend. Yeah. But I think he's a very, very promising horse. Um, again, Chris Waller, so typical, um, you know, good potential to be better as a three-year-old. Uh, he's also by Dundeal, who isn't known to sort of have two-year-olds. Um, the only other two-year-old that Dundeals had sort of rate 100 plus of my figures was Castelvecchio. Mm-hmm. Um, and Militarise is, is sort of slightly topped where he was at. Um, he went so he's a serious be, horse. Yeah. I think he is, yeah. I mean, heavy there. We've got to see if he, he does it on, on um, you know, conditions sort of better than heavy. But, yeah, just just the way he attacked the line there and, and sort of showed a turn of foot as well to, to put the race away, he's... Last 200 was like two and a half lengths better than the next best horse. Um, mm. It's a really good reference there in Don Corleone, who was second in the Blue Diamond, I think, and, and fourth in the slipper, not beaten that far. And Militarizers just sort of put him away there. So I think he's yeah, very, very promising. 
um, and we'll get a chance to see if he can confirm that in the Champagne. Yeah, so they, he militarises 250 on Saturday. Yep. And then uh, Don Collione's about 350. Yep. What do you want to do there? Oh, you'd have to be unmilitarised. I mean, at the yeah. end of 1400 there, um, a strong run 1400, as I said, um, militarised last 200's about two and a half lengths better than Don Corleone and, and he's still stretching away, um, albeit gradually through the line. So you'd think militarise is going to love um, 1600. Um, again, draws and maps and all that sort of thing come into play and, and they're not machines. Mm. Um, but, yeah, he, he obviously flew under the radar a bit before. I think he was out of play in, in the slipper, uh, militarise. Um, so he has, yeah, sort of suddenly improved. But I know that... Yeah, the stable sort of always rated him sort of reasonably well as a as a horse. So, um, yeah, very hard to beat in the yeah, champagne. It'll be it'll be a good race. Good horse, I think. Um, and Sean Todd wanted us to talk about Tom Kitten. He said Tom Kitten looked very strong late. Do you think do you think he can get over further in at the spring? So he's referring to his race in the uh, yeah, Fernhill. Fernhill. Yeah, yeah, Fernhill. It was. Yeah. Um, I think it was a good win in the Fernhill. I mean, they they went. Quite slowly to the 800, um, he was the one least suited, sort of back where he was. He was well behind the, the second last horse. Um, so he probably wasn't entitled to win where he was. Um, so he's probably better than that run even indicates. Um, but it was a, a weak Fernhill in, in a rating yeah. sense. I think yeah. like two and a half lengths below the average of the last three winners. Um, so I don't think he beat much there. Um, but the way he finished off certainly showed, and, and given the – the unsuitable race shape showed that he's probably better than that. Um, but I think at this stage, he's still yeah, level or so below what will be needed in the champagne. But in terms of getting further, um, quite possibly, um, yeah. From, from another good open horse, of course. Yeah, another they good open horse. horses on them. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah they do, and they, and they manage them very, very well. Um, all right, well, that sort of rounds out the two-year-olds. Let's, let's move to the three-year-olds. Um, let's watch the ATC derby. Australian Derby. I point out here, um, Virtuous Circle just look widest there. Um, of course, they're in the, the yellow or green. Yeah, um, lime green. Yeah, just sort of coming down. Um, they went very, very slowly in this race. Major Bill had plenty left to give. And and um, to be honest, he was still there to get beaten and did a good job to sort of kick on, but he, he didn't spend much to that point. Um, I think Virtuous Circle's the horse you want to take out of the race, though. He was a mile off them when they'd walked early. Um, covered a, a stack of extra ground, um, initially working to sort of try and get in the race. And then as we saw just on the replay there, he was super wide on the bend, cost himself, yeah. um, you know, probably a couple of lengths there. And then he's run on and, and got beat less than a length at the finish. So um, it wasn't wasn't a strong derby, um, but he, he's probably the horse you, you want to take out of it going forward. I think he'll prove to be you know, a fair bit better than what we saw there. Okay. And so there's a, we've got a question from the um, Chandelurian. He says, which of the three-year-old stayers, if any, do you see progressing to better things in the spring? Cup, plate, question mark. Which ones have the potential to elevate themselves off their autumn figures? We sort of touched on that a bit there. Yeah, I think Virtuous Circle's definitely one off, off what we saw there. It's a big run in the derby. Um, horse like Sharp and Smart sort of went into the race, good New Zealand form, and, and was sort of exposed here um, yeah. last spring. Um, I'm not sure he's very, very... He was the favourite for the Vic Derby, favourite the Australian Derby, got beaten both, hasn't yep, he? Yep, yep, yep. Um, good horse, good horse. I'm not sure he's, he's sort of super elite level, so I, he probably needs to find a few lengths to, to measure up to the big races in the spring if that's the way they're, they're going to head. Um, be interesting to see whether they stay at that longer path or whether they um, aim for a race like the Cox Plate with him back over the 2000. His, his best he's win sharp was, and smart. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Especially when he was in New Zealand where he beat older horses at Plate for Age just recently over the same trip where he sat wide and was quite an impressive win. Um, and, and that's why he sort of um, – and then he won the derby over there. Even though he won, it wasn't really as an impressive performance, um, especially in a rating sense. Um, so you th he's definitely coming back for the, the spring? I would Charlotte assume Spurs. so. Yeah. yeah, I would assume so. I mean, why not? It's where the money is um, in, in Australia, mm. um, certainly compared to New Zealand. So, yeah, it'd be interesting if, if he goes, you know, for a Caulfield Cup or something like that or whether they aim up at a, at a Cox Plate. Um, but, yeah, look, the, the depths are pretty thin, thin yeah. to be honest. So, um, so Adam Page, sort of this similar question, Adam Page said, is there any three-year-old 2,000-metre-plus that you think can take the leap to wait for age next season? I mean, it's a huge leap, isn't it, to go from your own sex and um, yeah. age and then... The, the talent pool gets much deeper and that's part of the purpose of ratings and we normalise them to wait for age to try and identify those horses that could measure up when they, when they get to that level. Um, look, I'd have to say that the two most promising would both be fillies, would yep. be Amelia's Jewel, yep. um, if they decide to stretch out in trip, and, and also Prowess from yeah. New Zealand. Why don't, we, why don't we watch Prowess? Yeah, Let's roll in, straight in into it. So, yeah. Prowess in the Vinery. Yeah, yeah I mean, she and just smashed him here, right? Um, just pulls out there. Pavitra the there, and she just takes her time to sort of wind up, but just the last 200, she's just totally dominant. Um, just blows him away here. You can see she's going better than anything through the yeah. line, so just very, very good filly that, that um, yeah, only a three-year-old, obviously, will come back. Uh, as a four-year-old in the spring and, and could elevate to that, to that next Lock level. Lock End made a, a good comment. So he said Prowess bolted in and then going home to save her for the spring, how good she can she be? Well, I guess you're, sort of, you're answering that anyway. But it is interesting yeah. that they took her straight back home, isn't it? Yeah, and I hope that that decision gets rewarded. You know, it's it's um, she would have gone around odds on in the Oaks and, and um, different races on different days. It was very gruelling conditions there with a strong pace, 2,400 wet track. Um, Penny Wecker's strong stayer, but not in the yeah. same class as Prowess. So yeah. Prowess would have gone around well into the odds-on range in, in the Oaks and all things being equal would have won the race. If you said to people in New Zealand that Penny Wecker could have beaten Prowess, they'd laugh at you, right? So yeah, um, so yeah I hope that decision, they, they came for the Vinery. That was their target. She mm. won impressively. Um, even though she was totally dominant, they stuck to their guns and sent her home for a rest and, yeah, Really hope that's that. that and have you heard really what well. their what their grand final might be in spring? Yeah, I don't know. Caulfield to be Cup, honest, maybe? Um, Caulfield Cup, Cox Plate, and then um, also the Golden Eagle. Is, would she be? Uh... Yeah, probably. Yeah, interesting. Not not sure. Um, th these rich races have a habit of of making horses um, go against what their ideal prep might be. Yeah. Um, be because of the the prize money on mm. offer, and, and it doesn't always doesn't always work out. So yeah, I'm sure that news will, will filter through as we get closer to the spring. But yeah, she's very promising for the future. Um, Rose Hill Guineas, we saw Lindemann and, and Pericles sort of fight it out. Um, those two don't really give me the impression of going on to be weight for age horses. Um, I do like the way Pericles travels in his races, and he does have a genuine turn of foot. Um, he's just been a little bit sort of caught out. At the end there, we saw in the spring he, he ranged up to, to win um, at the 2000 and was just sort of found out late and you could argue the sort of same in, in the Rose Hill Guineas. Mm. Um, so it was interesting that they decided to, to run him in the derby. Um, um, but, yeah, very smart camp, so obviously had their reasons. But, yeah, so with that ability to sort of travel and, and quicken the way he does, he may be able to sort of progress. But, yeah, I wouldn't be sort of confident about that. I think the... The stocks are pretty thin, and that touches on what we said earlier about what's going to be around when we get into the spring. Yeah, it's um, not looking strong at the moment. Yeah.
Um, while we're on the Phillies, Paps, everyone's one of everyone's favourite punters. Shout out, Paps. Good man. Asked a question. Queen Air had big hype around her after her big performance at the Valley. Something went wrong last start, and she was too bad to be true. Was talks around a Caulfield Cup uh, that talks around that she was a Caulfield Cup horse. Thoughts on this? Yeah, well, something was definitely amiss last start. Um, the win at Mooney Valley, I sort of didn't rate it as high as some people did. So mm-hmm. yeah, I sort of didn't see you know, Caulfield Cup or a race like that as sort of being in her wheelhouse at this stage. Um, there was a tricky thing there on the day with the wind sort of changed direction and, and that's um, on the day and it was quite a decent wind. And I think that sort of certainly played a role in some of the figures in the early races versus late races type of thing. Um, it was tricky to deal with. Um, yeah, something obviously went amiss, but even... You know, regardless of what I thought about the Mooney Valley win, I mean, she's still got a lot of work to do to be a Caulfield Cup sort yep. of player. Um, you know, outside of that Mooney Valley win, her overall sort of record and ratings are sort of fairly fairly moderate, I would say. So um, no doubt promising type, but, yeah, we'll see see what happens after she went and missed there the other day. Yeah. yeah. And um, there's a good horse, three-year-old filly up in Rockhampton, Chinny Boom, won on Saturday again, won impressively. It's undefeated, right? Um if it's not uh, no, I think she might have lost her first start. Yeah, yeah then, without, and then won six on the trot or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A very, very good filly. Um, she bolted in there one day at Rockhampton, I think it was, by like eight and a half lengths and and ran a figure that said she was a stakes-class horse. And then she came to Brisbane and she was nosed out in a, in a stakes race there. I think it was a listed race. Um, she's gone for a break. Good win on Saturday. Um, mm. They were, I wouldn't say riding against her. It was just good competitive riding. The gap was there and the jockey on the outside closed it and they had to change direction. She was The horse on the outside had momentum. She was good enough to pick up and win. So, um, yeah, coming into their carnival time, she she looks like a genuine sort of lower-level stakes-class filly, sort yeah. of listed group three. Uh, it'll be interesting if she can take that next step and, and maybe step up to, to some of the, the higher-level races. Yeah, there's been and, a lot of offers for her, but they, they reject them all. They're, yeah, they're they have. There's a few owners. people tried to, to sort of buy her for good money. That The owners have sort of stuck to their guns and they're going to race her. So, yeah. Um, yeah, you don't deny anyone, you know, making, making a good earn if they've got a good horse. But at the same time, you admire that, yeah, they've decided to, to race on and, and um, yeah, hope they get the reward for that. Yeah. Well, that, that rounds up our review of um, all the big races from the autumn. Few questions to finish off. Sure. Um, MW on Twitter says, "Any newish size to follow? Invader, Grunt, etc." Question mark. Um, yeah, I'm not like a huge one in terms of following size, or don't pay a massive amount of sort of attention to diving in deep. But if I had to say one, I would say Brave Smash. He seems to be doing mm-hmm. a good job. Couple of nice horses. He's got um, uh, Brave Halos, a smart two-year-old in, in WA. Came over here, I think, for Blue Diamond. Um, Brave Meads with um, Mara and Eustace also looks very promising. Um, younger horse and, and Kamachi who ran in that Percy Sykes on the weekend. Um, with I think she's with Gary Cortelli looks good. So from yeah, very limited runners. He's had three, you know, quite sort of decent sort of you know lower level stakes class sort of two year olds. Um, seems to be doing a very good job. So if I had to pick one, he'd be the he'd be the sire. Yeah. Very good. Rolling on DM on Twitter. Who are some ninety five to ninety nine Raiders who have Group One potential? that you'll be following into Brisbane or the Spring Carnival. And then also Alessandro Landolfi on the Den, horses to follow through to Brisbane and Adelaide Carnivals. Yeah, I haven't spent a huge amount of time on this yet. Um, In terms of horses to follow for Brisbane, I'd suggest people just start looking at the trials for whatever Chris Wallace trialling at the moment because that's really sort of, yeah, well, the timing I would simple, say eh? that, that, yeah. that they're sort of getting you know he'd be getting the next wave of horses coming through that are going to, to Brisbane to race through May, June, July. Um, would be sort of trialling now or maybe having second trials or sort of whatever. Um, I personally haven't done that yet. Um, uh, Kovalika 
he's probably a short price favourite for the Derby, I'd assume. He, he um, ran some good races up there last year for, for the Wallace Stable. Resumed at 1,400 on Saturday was huge, like coming from near last. James McDonald um, almost matched his sort of career PB, which has come at 2,000 plus, and he did that over 1,400. So he looks to have come back enormously. So he looks to one to beat in the Derby, but I'm sure the markets probably reflect that. Um, in terms of SA, um, Mick Price and, and Mick Kent Jr. have a nice horse, Loco, mm -hmm. um, who was narrowly beaten at Sandown on Saturday, but it was a sort of slow slow run race, sprint home. He sort of had his chance, but it probably wasn't ideal for him. He's a promising horse that looks like he'd be better as he steps up beyond a mile, so maybe a good horse for a race like the SA Derby. So, mm. yeah, he's probably one worth, worth following. Very good. Um, this is a question from the bloke who runs racing Twitter. Dan, Danny Jackson. Danny, good man. <laughs> uh, what consistent rating does a horse have to have to be classed as elite? A champion 110 numerous times over its career, question mark. Hashtag end of story. Yeah, on, <laughs> on my ratings, which, which Danny's um, you know, keen sort of follow of. Yeah, sort of 110, I consider that world-class level yep. in, in sort of any jurisdiction. Um, Sorry, and, and Nature Strip did 111 and a half, did yeah, you say? Yeah, 111 and a half, 112 at Royal Ascot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, Winx has been up to 115. And a half, so that's you know all time, yeah, great. Which we know she is. Um, so yeah, around that one tens elite world class. It's very rare we get. What did, what did Frankel go to? Um, not sure off the top of my head. Probably better than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably better than that. Um, so there's been yeah some of those all time greats have sort of you know eclipsed those levels, and and that's why they are um, goats of the the industry. Um, but yeah, that sort of one tens probably elite. Um, yes. I mean, you can still be a champion without sort of hitting that level. Um, you know, I think I think we get a bit too precious about labelling horses champions or not. I mean, we, we use the term much more loosely in other mm. sports like footy and boxing and stuff like that. Um, but as soon as you call a horse a champion in horse racing, people want to compare them to the all-time greats and say, oh, they weren't as good as Sunline or weren't as good mm. as uh, Might and Power or Northley or sort of something like that. So I think a champion, you know, any horse that can dominate the best of the opposition around at the time um, for, you know, a year or more. Probably so does deserves. that mean Animo's a champion? I, I actually thought um, Ray Thomas did a piece on this and that's what got me thinking about it. He asked for, for my opinion and, and I sort of said that coming into this autumn, if Animo could go through and, and sort of dominate the way that he did in the spring, doesn't mean you have to win every start, but, but win the ones that, that sort of matter, um, then he probably earned the right because for a full 12 months, he would have been totally dominant over the best horses we've got at the time. So I would have been happy to call him a champion. Um, doesn't mean that you say the horse is an all-time great or, mm. or whatever. There's a clear gap between, you know, those levels. Um, but, yeah, unfortunately, he couldn't sort of get it done in the in the QE. So we'll probably have to, um, yeah, reserve The champion that. tag, okay. Probably just, just a smidge. <laughs> smidge get, getting, if he goes to Ascot and blows him away, then we're sweet. Yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> yeah. um, and last question from Jordan. What is your opinion on future all-in betting? By memory, you stay away from two-year-old races are there any other races or types of bets you try to stay away from, e.g. exotics, quaddies, et cetera? Yeah, look, I mean, future all-in betting, I think, depends how you approach it, right? There's nothing mm. wrong with having a sort of long-range spec every now and again yeah. um, and, and sort of playing small for a big result. Um, but getting too invested in, I think, is like a huge trap. I mean, it's human nature that we greatly overestimate the probability that you know, two months, three months, six months out, a horse is actually going to get to a race and get there in peak form as a, as a winning chance. So um, the number of times that you just burn your money, I think, probably makes it very difficult to, mm. to win. Um, and so just touching don't, on what don't was, charge into the $8 white mile. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and as we said, like I remember, and you would remember too, you know, back in the days of the doubles charts and that sort of before online that, 
you know, there was tremendous value around in, in sort of markets, but these days it just mm. doesn't seem to to be there. So I think it's a bit of a trap. But there's nothing wrong with with sort of having a spec. It can it can add to your fun and sort of entertainment of the game. Um, personally, I don't bet exotics, um, things like that. Um, I do take quaddies sometimes, um, but yeah, if, I always say to people, if you can't win win betting, then you're not going to win on exotics. Sure, um, take the takeouts better. The strike rate's lower, um, so it's a much tougher road to to hold. Mm. Um, unless you've got a you know sophisticated setup where you're staking combinations individually, mm. and, and that gets into know. the syndicate kind of territory. Yeah, exactly, and that's beyond the realms of you know ninety nine point nine percent of people, which is fair enough. So my advice to people is yeah, just stick to stick to win betting. That's where you're playing into the best percentages, um, even though they're not as appealing as as in years gone by. Um, and yeah, if you can't win win betting, then you're not going to win any exotics unless you get extremely lucky and, and you know jag a result and build up a, a sort of big lead. But even then. You keep doing it over time, you're probably going to bleed most of it back out. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. That was a great podcast. Um, on behalf of all punters, thanks for your dedication to trying trying to help us all win. So, um, no problem. Yeah, enjoyable. What else? I don't know how people live without racing. Or... No, yeah, it's the best. How do you yeah. or sport in general? Yeah, sport, racing, you know, all that sort of thing. I mean, each to their own sort of thing. But yeah, I love the game, and yeah. and um, even if I didn't have to make an earn, I'd probably still do. Yeah, still do what I do now. It's just the, yeah. the, the greatest, uh, the great game, as yeah. we say. Yeah. yeah. Very good. All right, everyone at home, I hope you enjoyed that. Dan's one of the full-time members on the Den, so if you haven't downloaded the Wolf Den app, make sure you do. can only improve your punting. It's a lot of good, good fun and good times. Other than that, um, we'll see you in the next one. Up the Den. Up the Den.